Welcome to The Brandy Show, Conversations With. The idea for this type of show came from the very concept of podcasts. They're available to anyone at any time since they stay posted on the internet portal indefinitely. Podcasts that are time-sensitive, that deal with issues of the day, are fine. But after a month or so, they can be out of date. Taking advantage of the technology, it made sense to me to create a program podcast that would last. It's as current the day it is posted to six months or a year from now. So I hope you like our series conversations with. Thanks for stopping by. Today's conversation is with my older brother, Art. Now, why do you ask, am I having a conversation with my older brother? The answer is simple. He's a wealth of information on Michigan State University athletics history. When I started this series, I wanted to talk about a lot of topics involving my background and experience. That includes Michigan State. You see, I was raised in East Lansing, and my brother Art played football at Michigan State under the legendary Duffy Doherty, and he's been a lifelong resident of East Lansing, and he's been plugged into Spartan Nation as one of its favorite sons. He has a unique perspective on personalities, coaches, and events, some events that are historical regarding social change in this country. He came out of East Lansing High School as one of the best athletes ever produced in the region's history, and to this day... He remains in the top 15 in that category. Can you tell? I'm proud of my older brother, and I love him. And here's my conversation with MSU grad and proud Spartan, Art Brandstatter Jr. When I thought about doing this, I said, you know, I've got a lot of Michigan connections because of my University of Michigan background, but I need to do something with Michigan State. I can't just leave them out there. And I thought, who do I go to? And until I spoke with you prior to doing this, I wasn't sure whether you were the guy. And yet... You were afraid of my Homer instincts. No, no, not at all. It was (laughs) historically speaking. And then when we talked about it... Wait a minute, you saying I'm old? Yes. Oh, okay. Look, I'm old too, so you're not getting out of that one. You're still a kid. Uh, Yeah, but you're not as old as you think you are. Anyway, I am sitting there going, the things that you have experienced over your lifetime at Michigan State have been amazing. And nostalgia is big, but you came and played for an era where there was the one-name coach. Duffy, Bear, Bo, yep. Era. I mean, think about it. And and those guys don't exist anymore. So let's start at the beginning with you. East Lansing High School, native, graduate, probably the Best athlete to come out of East Lansing of the Lansing area uh, because you're in the top 15 of greatest athletes in uh, East Lansing or the Lansing area, and you had a decision to make of where to go to school. Well, it really wasn't a big decision, Jim, back then. The only school I visited uh, besides, obviously, Michigan State was Notre Dame. And uh, But growing up in East Lansing and having a father that played there and was employed there and we lived there all our lives, it was, uh, it was an easy choice for me. But you would agree that if it were today, where you were going to go play college football would have been an event on media. You'd have had to pick, take a hat and put it on. That's how big you were. Well, maybe, but that's... Now, don't be doing that on me. No, but the the, the whole thing has changed. I mean, what's the big deal back then? I mean, you know, you were going to go to school. And, you know, it was a big deal in the Lansing State Journal, which was our local paper, but that's... And maybe the Detroit Free Press at that time. 
But today, I think that it's uh, everything is sensationalized. Look, Jim, at just what they're paying coaches today. Look at the bowl games. Last year, there were 41 bowl games. Do you think there's 82 teams out there that are bowl eligible? Probably not. No, I, I mean, I'm in total agreement with you. So you go to Michigan State, though, and you play for a legend. At the time, probably a lot of people don't know it, but Duffy Doherty was a legend. And uh, people around East Lansing still revere the name. He's got his name on buildings. Yeah, what well, was Duffy like? Duffy was, uh, I would say Duffy was a great uh, coordinator, uh, a great administrator. I think that he was smart enough to know that he might not have been the greatest X's and O's guy in the world. But you look at the people that he surrounded himself with. I mean, think about it. Wayne Fonts, who ended up at the Lions. Johnny McVay, general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. And then the coaches, other coaches, Bill Yeoman went to Houston, invented the Vera offense. Cal stole Minnesota. Uh, Vince Carrollot. Uh, just, I mean, it goes on and on. The coaching uh, that, that came along after him. And he also. And well, Henry Bullitt. Don't forget Henry. Hank Bullitt, exactly. Being, a, being well, a, an NFL coach. And his family has been Michigan State all the way, from kids to grandkids to great-grandkids, I think, will play football at Michigan State. Absolutely. And they a great name in the, in the Spartan history. The other thing about Duffy, and I think you could speak to it, maybe you didn't know it at the time, he was as good a PR man when it came to handling the media as any coach out there. Well, I think Duffy was way ahead of his time because they used to call him the, uh, the cherub Irishman or something like that because he always had great stories, and uh, he handled the media. But, again, the media was not, I guess, maybe as abrasive. Would that be a good word as they may be Confrontational. Today? Confrontational, yeah. But Duffy always had a story or a joke, or a, and he made fun of himself a lot of times too. So yeah, he was uh, he was really and always good for something whenever he did an interview. And as we were preparing for this, you mentioned it just a moment ago. Duffy was ahead of his time. Um, back when you played fifty nine, sixteen, sixty one were your three varsity seasons, right? Right. Uh, Duffy was laying the groundwork for national championships in uh, the mid sixties by recruiting young black players from the South. And you saw it when you were there at Michigan State, and that wasn't something that was of the norm back then. Uh, that's absolutely right, Jim. And, and the story goes, I don't know how true it is, but the story goes that Duffy and, and uh, Bear Bryant were, were buddies. And uh, remember the time, the late 50s, early 60s, segregation was upon us and all that stuff. But Bear would call Duffy, and I've heard that he called some of the other coaches in the Big Ten at that time, too. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But he called Duffy, he'd say, Duffy, there's an old boy down in <laughs> Baytown, Texas. Y'all ought to go take a look at him. Well, that was George Webster. And, you know, a guy like George Webster, Bubba Smith, Clinton Jones, Gene Washington, they couldn't play down south. Those schools couldn't recruit those kids. So... I think the number, and I think Gene Washington wrote a book about that. And between '59 and '71 or two, there were like 25 black kids from the South that ended up playing at Michigan State. And Dovey was recruiting black kids even when you were there. I'm, Jim oh, yeah. Bobbitt was one of your buddies that Highland played with Pump, you, absolutely. And you know who he coached in high school? Highland uh, Mute. 
he coached my friend Reggie McKenzie. Really? Yeah. He was Reggie said he learned so many great lessons from Jim Bobbitt, and he was a teammate of yours. Jimmy was a great guy. They lived right by us in married housing over in Spartan Village. Well, Matt's Norton, Lonnie Sanders, all Detroit kids that came up. You know, uh, I mean, we had a lot of black kids on our team. And the other thing that's interesting, we talked about this in preparing, the amount of history that uh, we see as people. We don't realize it until maybe we get older and kind of look back and through the lens of hindsight, you were really introduced to segregation in a big way through football when your Michigan State team traveled to Miami to play football, weren't you? Right, yep. And again, it was 60 or 61. We played down in Florida. We played on a Friday night. I'll never forget that. And as a side light to this, Jim, but think about it. We chartered an airplane that came from Miami and uh, they came in, I think, like on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday. And it was so cold. We all got out. The team gets out to the Capital City Airport, I think, Thursday morning. And the planes wouldn't start because the weather was so cold and the engines wouldn't turn over. <laughs> so they had to get great, big, huge, probably six-foot round things and pump hot air into these planes before it would start. And you guys still got on them? Yeah. We got on <laughs> Maybe we ought to check maybe we ought to check your brains and on that team. We're still here. Yeah. So it wasn't too bad. But yeah. And we went down there and uh, some of our black kids they, they couldn't stay at the same hotel we did, which was on Miami Beach. Which was crazy. And and again that brings to mind a story about I think in sixty what, one or two the uh, uh Texas Western or Texas El Paso at that time, yes. which won the national uh, NCAA basketball tournament. They had a similar experience. Uh, Glenn Haskins was the coach, I think, and they, in traveling around the country, their, their kids couldn't all stay together. Well, and bringing that up again, there's a classic example. We talk about Michigan State's history. They uh, had a similar situation going on. They hosted an NCAA tournament that almost tournament game rather that almost yeah. didn't come off because of segregation didn't absolutely, it absolutely yep you tell us that story because uh, you were right there watching it you were a that was amazing in uh, a witness again, to that yeah i was well you were too as I, I, was, I was only i was what 11 years old and i was a witness i didn't know what was going on at the time <laughs> well i don't but, think any of us were but really you aware. had a better perspective because you're 20 at that point right well, what had happened was, uh, at that time, the NCAA selected four sites around the country that would be the regional final sites. And that particular year, Mississippi State was one of the regional finalists, and the other one was Loyola of Chicago. Now, the interesting thing was, Mississippi State, all white, of course, 1960-61, segregation again, Chicago-Loyola, all black. What happened was that the governor of Mississippi had proclaimed that he was going to file an injunction to prevent the Mississippi State basketball team from leaving the state of Mississippi on Friday. The game was a Saturday night. So apparently the coaches and the kids got wind of this, and they all left Mississippi and drove up to Memphis and then flew out of Memphis on the day before and got into East Lansing and then played the, the game Saturday night against Loyola Chicago. And, at Jenison Fieldhouse in East Lansing. Yep. And that is reputed to be um, the game that changed the tone of college basketball. Isn't it amazing, and I don't know whether you want to get philosophical on me here, but how <laughs> athletics in many ways leads social change. In 61, you as a 
white player were down there with your black teammates, probably, I would imagine, disappointed and upset with the way they were treated. And then you see East Lansing on the forefront allowing this Mississippi State Loyola Chicago basketball game to happen. Well, yeah, but you know, I think Jim, too, the times are so different because I had I've had two occasions in my life that kind of stick out. One in high school, and one in college. In high school, our junior year in high school, we got beat in the district finals by Lansing Resurrection, and uh, the 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 regionals were held at Albion College, and uh, of course. Albion was in the Twin Valley, the high school team, which is the league we were in. So there were two or three of us from our basketball team that went down to Albion to watch uh, Resurrection play in the regionals. And, of course, we get to Albion College, and we run into three or four kids from Albion, which was predominantly black at that time, that we'd all competed against for three or four years. And uh, so we get together, we hang out, there's no problems, and these kids say, you guys want to go with us to a party after the game? And this is in 57. So yeah, we said, yeah. So three white kids from East Lansing go with two or three black kids from Albion, and we just had a ball. And uh, same thing happened in college. I played basketball, as you know, for a couple of years, but Indianapolis, Horace Walker and Johnny Young, Two black players were down there. Bill Golis and I, we were number 12 and 11 and 12 on the <laughs> basketball team. But they said, uh, you know, we're going out. You guys want to go with us? And we said, yeah, we'd love to. So they took us to a party and somewhere in Indy, I have no idea where, but guess what? We're the only two white faces in the whole place, and it was just awesome. These young girls at that time, you know, were teaching us how to do the dancing and all this stuff, and it was I mean, it was it was just, I think, a different time. You talked about playing basketball. Um, you were a two-sport athlete, but again, you go back to the Michigan State names, the legends. You played for a coach there called Forty Anderson, oh, yeah. who was, I would say at the time, uh, up there nationally uh, as one of those coaches that, whether it was John Wooden coming around or Amos, uh, or Adolph Rupp, rather. Forty Anderson was in that conversation. And again, a guy that brought black guys in who can forget jumping Johnny Green that played for it Michigan State. was a walk-on. Johnny a, Green a walk-on, yeah, absolutely. Well, and you played with some darn good ones when you were basketball players. Oh, Horace Walker, Art Gowan, so yeah. They were, um, and Forty was, he was, it reminds me a little bit like Judd because he was really a defensive guy. Judd Heathcote. Yeah, and uh, uh, Forty concentrated on defense and, and movement. Everybody was moving, so it was... Uh, it was really a great experience. Go back to your football a little bit. The other thing that's so much fun when we were talking about it, you talk history. You ran into some great players in your day playing football at Michigan State. Uh, you've got a story about Mike Ditka, uh, <laughs> who played at Pittsburgh and who right. left a lasting impression on you. Well, my claim to fame. <laughs> my, my claim to fame, as I tell anybody that will listen, is that my front teeth are in Mike Ditka's forearm. <laughs> He, uh, on a punt, I can never forget to play. Fourth down, we're punting, and at that time, the center snapped the ball without a count. I mean, the kicker would flip his hands and let him know he was ready to receive the ball, and then the center would snap it. So as the end, the far man on the line, I'm looking down toward the center because I wanted to get off when the ball was snapped. With my great speed, I had to have every advantage I could, too. <laughs> 
But anyway, while uh, while I'm looking down, concentrating on the ball to my left, Ditka, who was well outside of me before he moves right in head over me. Well, the ball snaps, I take a step, and boom, he hits me right. We had a single bar back then. And I'm running down the field, and something exploded out of my mouth. I had no idea. How do I couldn't figure it out? But I, after the play is over, we go over to the sideline, and Doc Fury, God rest his soul, he says, oh, come on over here. We're going to have to stitch you up. I want to see you after the game. This is like hockey. You got stitched up, and boom, you were back playing, right? But I never got stitched up till afterwards. And is that, that right? Yeah, before we got on the plane. <laughs> and did you get fixed up? When you got back to East Lansing? Because well, didn't you have you had a mo- tooth missing? Yeah. No, well, he knocked my tooth out. Bob Jones, who was a Big Ten official, uh, dentist in Lansing. Yeah, I was in there Sunday morning. And, and I don't know if I should say this on the air or not. I'll let you make it. Go ahead. As I, as I said, when we got back to Lansing, the only thing that affected me was I had to drink beer with my head tilted to <laughs> Hey, those of us who've played it, all been there. You know, you get your arm messed up, you got to drink beer left-handed. Absolutely. For you, that's not a problem. But for me, it was tough. No, I had to. I had to help. I had that night. It was a tough night. And and Ditka, of course, goes on. He was a great player. Yes, he he's was. a National Football League you, Hall of Famer. You know what else I remember about that game, Jim? This is crazy. But we ended up in a seven-seven tie. I missed a field goal from forty-seven yards out for the win. Oh, you were at Pitt, though, right? <laughs> yeah, we were in Pittsburgh. Um, other guys you played against, and I love talking about this stuff because we forget the great players that we, we went up against. You know, you go on to a business and a life, you're selling cars mostly and doing insurance, but you run into the likes of Carl Eller and Bobby Bell back in those days when they played at Minnesota. They were the real deal, weren't they? They were the real deal. Actually, and, and that uh, brings up a bad memory, we uh, we go up to Minneapolis and we're playing uh, Minnesota. Both teams, I think, were undefeated. We're leading the Big Ten. And uh, they had Bobby Bell and Carl Eller were the defensive tackles. And uh, we were four times inside their 20-yard line, first and 10 or first and goal. Ended up getting beat, I think, 14 or 13 to nothing. So, obviously, we didn't score. But one of those times, I'll never forget, I was, I was what we called a two-man, which is the right end. And uh, we were fourth down and four, fourth down and goal, really, from the four-yard line. And Duffy's looking down the bench, and he calls my name, says, get in there, I want to run a two-trap, which was right over me. So our tackle was Palmer Pyle, and I was uh, next to him. And Palmer's job was to uh, take a jab step and lead block, what they call, or post block, set up the post on. And it happened to be uh, Bobby Bell. And then I came down the line. We pushed him back toward the center and ran right through us. Well, the snap count came, and I took a step down, and Bobby Bell was already about a yard and a half in the backfield. <laughs> he was, as I joke, he was so far past me, I couldn't even reach out and grab his leg to hold him. <laughs> and, of course, he's chasing Herb Adderley then at the 10-yard line. <laughs> and that brings up another great point, not just the opponents, but you played with some great players. Oh, uh, we did. Have Herb Adderley, uh, who NFL Hall of Fame went on to Green Bay fame, and, yep. and Dean Luck, another one of those guys. Dean. Dean was our quarterback. How about uh, Dave Manders, 12 years with the Dallas Cowboys. And, uh, yeah, we had a lot of great – Ron Hatcher played with the Redskins for a while. Gary Ballman, East Detroit kid. 
One of the great athletes I think that uh, I've ever seen. I mean, I, the guy was – he could do anything on a football field. He was he could run. He could – he was strong. He could catch passes. He Big could run the football. Strong. Absolutely. You know, another kid that they don't talk about much, but maybe the toughest kid I ever played against, with it was Mickey Walker from East Detroit, who yeah. is now, what, Roseville or something now? But Mickey was – Mickey was something else. Rocky Ryan was a pretty good oh, player, too. He's a Eddie. Chicago kid. Yep, Eddie was our captain our senior year, and he was our linebacker, and an excellent, excellent top-flight top linebacker. Um, after you got done playing football, you stayed in East Lansing your entire life, but you stayed close to the Michigan State program. and um, the, the coaches in football, you were president of the Spartans Alumni Football Varsity Club, too. Talk to me about, I, I think Mark Dan, Coach D'Antonio has done a great job of bringing Michigan State back. But there have been times where when Muddy was there and, and Nick Saban who left. Talk to me about that, the Michigan State football program up until the D'Antonio era. Well, you don't forget George. George Burles was in there too for a long time. Of course, George was at Denby in Detroit. And um you know, we had some great years, and Duffy had some great years all the way through the 60s, and, and then um, we fell on some hard times. But again, Michigan, and then when Bo came in, yeah. it, it just changed the whole landscape. You talk about Duffy having great years. The national championship year, you moved into broadcast. You actually broadcast the famous 10-10 to 10 tie I did. between Michigan State and Notre Dame. Yeah, that was 1966 when Nick Eddy fell or got off the train and twisted his ankle or something and never played in the game. But, Jim, as a broadcaster, now i, I got to tell you this one. This is one you'll appreciate. And I'm not sure what year it was, but Ohio State, Michigan State, in Spartan Stadium, right? The game was just as close as could be. At the end of the game, Ohio State's got the ball, and the clock is running, and it's inside 30 seconds. And Ohio State's like at the goal line, one, two-yard line. So they run a play, and the clock runs out, and the officials don't signal, touchdown, nothing. They just run off the field. And the game was like a three-point game. So, honest to goodness, for probably 30 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, we didn't know who won the football game. How did they get away with that? I can't answer that for you. But it was in the north end zone, right where the tunnel is. Ohio State ran the play. They blew it dead. And all the officials left through the north end. And no signal whether no it was signal. in the end zone or not? No. We're 20 minutes on the air trying to figure <laughs> this out. What out finally happened? It came over the press box that the, there was no touchdown. So Michigan State ends up winning the game by, I don't know, two, three points. That was way back in the day before television replay. Yeah, oh, way before that. Absolutely. Unbelievable. That's was the that, strangest one I've ever done. Was that 66 Michigan State team as good as you've ever seen? They were awfully good. Defensively, they were just tremendous. Well, you got George Webster. Well, and Baba. Baba. Oh, Harold yeah. Lucas. Lucas. They had some. Yeah, Lucas is a Detroit kid. I know. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a that was a really really good. I don't know if there's ever been one quite as good as that. Well, that maybe some of these recent Alabama teams have been pretty good. Defensively, that team had a bunch of guys. Well, they had like six or seven guys I think going the first five rounds of the draft. Exactly, and that that would tell you how good that team was. And those guys were the guys that Duffy brought in to Michigan State Absolutely. from the South. Yep, no question. 
you also were a huge basketball guy, and again, your career at Michigan State's over, but you became you won the state championship in basketball at East Lansing High School, unbeaten, de- defeated River Rouge and Lofton Green at Jenison Fieldhouse. Uh, you also, again, another guy who we just recently lost, Gus Kanakis, was your oh. high school basketball coach. Yep. And um, he coached you guys all the way to that championship and then went to Michigan State. And he really, I think, w- was the foundation uh, that brought magic to Michigan State and this unparalleled success of Michigan State basketball was Gus Kanakis. Would you agree or not? I Yes, I would. Well, I mean, as you look at history, uh, Gus was instrumental, obviously, as you just mentioned, in getting Magic uh, to come to East Lansing. And he also recruited Greg Kelser. And uh, those two guys, arguably, uh, along with maybe jumping Johnny Green, and, well, lately there have been some other great ones. But, I mean, they're just right up at the top of uh, the lore of Spartan history. And and Gus was not only your coach, but he became a dear friend, didn't he? Oh, yeah. He? Gus how, was awesome. How, what, was, what made Gus special? I, I always thought that he was a guy that related so well with kids and was able to um, develop a relationship, which I think is so critical in any coach's success. Well, Gus, you know, when you think about it, and now I look back, and Gus wasn't that much older than we were because that was like his second job uh, out of college. So he was maybe 10 years, 11 years older. When he was your coach at East Lansing. When he was our coach in high school, right. And Gus, I, see, I was fortunate because I played for Gus on the football field. My freshman year, I was four years or four games, half the season I played on the JVs, which was what Gus coached. Now, we had a kid named Tom Estes. His dad, Pete, was the president of General Motors, but lefty, we called him. He loved to throw the ball, and guess what? Gus was a, he was a run-and-shoot <laughs> football coach. Uh-huh. And so me being a wide receiver, an end at that time, I guess we didn't have a wide receiver, but an end, man, we just threw the ball all over the field. So it was just a ball for us guys. And then... And then we just went on, and I played freshman basketball for him on the varsity, and he was a great mentor and a, and a great friend and, and just an awesome person. And the other guy, uh, like I said, when, when Gus left, uh, in comes Judd Heathcote. Oh, yeah. And, and you got a relationship with Judd. Now, there's the personality. He was, he was one of the funniest human beings that walked the planet, and yet if you saw Judd, you would say, he had a permanent lemon in his mouth. <laughs> Judd was something else. And uh, like you say, a sense of humor that is unbelievable. I, I can remember one day we were talking about grade point averages, and I said something about my grade point average. He says, Artie, he says, your grade point average over four years couldn't have added up to a four point. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell the story about when he first came to Michigan State, uh, and they were not very good, and he came over to the house. Right. Well, we... Uh, <laughs> We got to be really good friends with his assistant. He brought in Don Munson, and Danny grew up with my oldest son, Pat. So we, we became really friends. And, and when Gus or when uh, uh, Judd and Don Munson came in, Don used to come over and he'd say, you know, we, we're out giving tickets away to the dormitories because we didn't get anybody at the game. So they'd give 2,000 tickets away, trying to get folks to come to the game. He said, what's going on around here? Why aren't people coming to the game? And anyway, so 
they didn't know anybody, so we had them over one. And we played the University of Michigan, a basketball game. I'll never forget this. And uh, Michigan just spanked us pretty, pretty good. So John and Vivo and Don and Deanna come over, and uh, it's probably 10 o'clock. Well, there was a UCLA basketball game on TV that night. So Judd comes over, sits down, and, I mean, never took his eyes off the TV set, never said hello, goodbye. Didn't say anything to anybody at the party. Nothing. Finally, after probably an hour, he got up, he said, and I can't repeat everything, he said, just a ball of fire, aren't I? But they were uh, they were really great folks, and he did a boy. Well, what a great job! And and I thought a lot of people because he had magic, he had Greg, and he won that championship. I, I thought Judd was one of the better game coaches and coaches, well beyond magic. He had Michigan State at the top of the game for a long time while he was here, and I think that that first year because they thought he had great talent. But maybe he wasn't that great a coach. I think he was an outstanding coach. Maybe one of the best I've ever seen. Well, yeah, Judd, Judd was a great bench coach. But remember this, too. A lot of people forget this. The matchup zone. Guess who did that? Judd Heathcote. And uh, Judd was a stickler for making sure that you did what you were supposed to do. And uh, he, well, and don't forget this. Guess where Izzo came from? He was the next guy I was going to. Exactly. You know Tom Izzo pretty well. And uh, has he carried on that tradition of Judd? You know what Schembechler used to say about Izzo? He would see him, and I've told Tom this before. He'd say, you know your problem, Izzo? You're a football coach. You got stuck coaching basketball. (laughs) Well, that's interesting because, of course, his best buddy was Steve Mariucci, and both of them grew up in Iron Mountain. I know. But yeah, Tom is just a fantastic human being. He's a he's a great guy, and um, a, a strict disciplinarian. I think that if you're a parent, you're looking at that. Why wouldn't you want to have your kid go play basketball for a guy that's going to make your kids go to class and do the work that they have to do and be accountable? Thomas, we already know that he's got still chapters to write in his career. Um, you also had a, Michigan State's had their athletic directors through there. Doug Weaver, you've had uh, George was an athletic director yeah. there for a while. Ron Mason. Ron, Ron Mason. Mason. And you had a son play hockey for Ron. There's a legendary hockey coach at Michigan State. Yeah, Rody, uh, my youngest, played hockey, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a great experience for him. He didn't play as much as we should have liked. He wore number three, and it was always a big joke among the parents. So that was a fun time for us, Jim, because – of course, we lived in East Lansing, and when Michigan State had a home hockey game, our house was full of, ho- full of hockey parents, uh-huh. and we probably had more fun than the kids did, if the <laughs> truth be known. But of those athletic directors, and again, Weaver may have been the most controversial, do you think? Oh, uh, Or maybe. George, because George, George tried to yeah. get involved in the, I guess... Well, Regents, what do they call it? A trustees at trustee. Michigan State. Well, he just resigned from the trustees you know, right. just recently. But we also don't forget Marilee Dean Baker. We right. had a woman athletic director, also. Michigan State breaking ground again. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go back to the uh, Michigan Michigan State thing. I've always wondered is that I've told people when I went to Michigan, I got no pressure from you or Dad. Dad was on the faculty. You were an All American. He was an All American. People somehow don't believe that. When I was 
ready to go to school. You were very, I think, supportive of anything I did or of my decision. Well, it's, you know, I, I felt like it's something you have to do. You have to do what's best for you. And you have to make the choice that is going to be you're happy and comfortable with. And that's not my choice to make. And you, you're going to have to live with that more than I am. So, no, that was, I don't think anybody, I hope nobody pressured you at all. No, they didn't. And Dad didn't either, and neither did Mom. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is you also saw my experience, the collegiate athletic experience, through me, and you got to know Bo a little bit. And you, yeah. you probably, after a couple of years, said, you know what? He, he probably made a pretty good decision. Well, I think, in, in, you know, everything gets 2020 after long enough, but I think it was a great decision, as it turns out. And, Jim, I'll never forget this. Um, when our dad died, yep. Bo and Lloyd both went to funeral. And uh, I, I, I saw him with you after the, after the funeral, and I said to both of them, I said, does this mean now that i got to be nice to you guys? <laughs> and then another... And, and I thought, I, I, again, going back to that moment outside St. Thomas Aquinas, right. I thought Mom was going to strangle Bo. I mean, because she gave him a hug that I don't think he's ever gotten before. Yeah, I think she loved Bo. And I she mean, appreciated she really him being there, too. Yep. Oh, no question. I think we all did. Yeah. No question about that. But another story, Jim, when I had, I had a a heart procedure, and I can't even remember when it was. But I'm just about ready to go in the operating room, and the phone rings. He says, they can do wonders. They're going to take good care of you. And uh, I really appreciate it. He was that. a beauty. Speaking of coaches, you coached the junior Trojans. I was, And that's a little league football team. But I was wondering, did you ever wonder if you – you were an outstanding coach. You would have been a great coach. Do you ever wonder about that as a possible career when you were? Uh, Jim, it's funny you mentioned that because, uh, yeah, I loved it. I, I did that for probably 30, 35 years. And, you know, now again, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Yep. But you know why I didn't go into coaching <laughs> back then? Why? Because you couldn't make any money. Yeah. And now they're making seven million bucks. I look at what they're paying people, and I'm thinking, "Holy smokes, that's how smart I am." Yeah. Um, what as you were a coach? Because I see kids to this day that are 35, 40 years old that played for you coming back and thanking you. Uh, your basic philosophy, how you coached, I think it it goes back to the same thing. Is though it's about discipline, it's about fundamentals. Well, I'd like the kiss rule. You know what that is. Keep, Keep it, it simple, simple stupid. stupid. I had a rule. My blocking rule was Hio. You know, what's that? Head up, inside, outside. And every time we you know, somebody come up and say, well, I blocked this. I said, what's your rule? Tell me your rule. Don't tell me who you blocked. What's your rule? Where would you should have blocked? And, and the other thing we did, Jim, again, we go back to the race situation. Every year, our kids, the Junior Trojans and the Blackhawks, which was the West Side Lansing team, mostly black kids, ended up playing in the championship game. So what I tried, because East Lansing back then was just as white as white could be. There were no black people that lived there. So I tried to schedule a game that, uh, uh, you know, an exhibition or whatever you might call it before the season started, a scrimmage, with the Blackhawks. So we could find out that those kids weren't any different than our kids were. You were teaching the little social well, change for the white kids you were coaching to let them know that, you know, the old, they put their pants on one, one exactly. leg at a time. I mean, it's just, there's no difference there, really. 
Yeah, we did that every single year almost, and it worked out well because then we played it before the season started, and then invariably that was the team we'd play in the championship game. All right, last question. Uh, how much ribbing do you take from your Michigan State friends about me going to Michigan? Because I know you must. Oh, not too much. Really? You're, you know, you're a hero now. You're no, a no, no. Because I remember Mom would go up when I was a senior and sit in the the faculty section wearing maize and blue, and Dad could hardly get out of there with his buddies. Well, you know what I remember about that back then? You tell that story a little bit. You went down to Notre Dame, and Notre Dame didn't want you. Well, now, our mother, a staunch Irish Catholic <laughs> woman, from that day forward, she hated the University of Notre Dame and anything that they had because they told her son, her youngest son, that he couldn't play big-time football. And so that meant that they were all idiots. <laughs> and on that, if we rip Notre Dame, I think it's a good place to end because we can agree on that. Absolutely. Thanks, Art. You've been great. And uh, I told you that you would be a fabulous guest on Conversations With and be a great historian about Michigan State. Well, I hope it works out. I hope you get two or three listeners. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brother Art today. I must tell you, I found it fascinating to hear about the civil rights issues for African Americans that were playing out right before his eyes as an athlete at MSU. At the time, I was still in grade school and I had no idea. Anyway, a good look at MSU and we hope to do more as we continue our series. Thanks for joining us on Conversations With.